Welcome to the Christchurch Conway podcast. We hope you find this podcast to be a resource that helps you grow in your faith through the study of scripture and theology. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel 26. We normally read a a New Testament passage that's parallel to the Old Testament passage. Uh, But this week, because uh, the Ziphites show up and Psalm 54 is about that, we we did that to give us kind of to see a little bit of David's response. It's going to play into to what we see happening in the story. So 1 Samuel 26, this is what we read. Then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gebeah, saying, Is not David hiding himself on the hill in Hachilah, which is on the east of Jeshimon? So Saul rose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hachilah, which is beside the road on the east of Jeshimon. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had come. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was laying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother, Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, will you go down with me? Or who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. Now, please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear. I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? Who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord, the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the lord lives, you deserve to die, because you have not kept watch over your lord, the lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jar of water that was at his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now therefore let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If it is the lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go, serve other gods. Now therefore, 
Let not my blood fall to the earth from the presence of the Lord. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea, like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious to this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things, and you will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Most gracious Father, as we look again at your word, I ask that you would strengthen us, strengthen me to proclaim your word and all of us to hear your word. Have our eyes fixed on Jesus, our Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, this story is very, very similar to the story we looked at just a couple of weeks ago when Saul was in the cave relieving himself and David spared his life there. Again, we have this story where David spares the life of Saul. And it's, it kind of sandwiches uh, the story that we looked at last week of Nabal, the fool, uh, who David went to kill but ultimately didn't because Abigail interceded there. And, and so as we look at all of these stories together, what we're seeing, is, as we've already talked about, is that David is learning, uh, continually learning, to just leave things in God's hands. And let God take care of everything. One of the phrases that appears four times uh, just in this chapter alone is is lifting your hand against the Lord's anointed. That idea. And and what's interesting is is that phrase, uh, it's only used uh, about 19 times in the entire Old Testament. Uh, And the vast majority of those, 12 of them if I remember right, are in 1 and 2 Samuel. And and four of those are, are right here in this story. And so I want us to think a little bit this morning about why why is that a focus for David? Why won't he lift his hand against the Lord's anointed? And and I'll tell you, the answer is because he's learning to rest in God. He's learning to trust God. He's learning how it is that the kingdom will actually come about. And it's not through his work. And he's also learning more and more what the job of the king of Israel actually is. And it's not to condemn or kill the people of Israel, but to deliver them. That's the king's job. That's what we've said all throughout this whole story. So the story is, is, is familiar, that these Ziphites sell David out again, and Saul goes looking for him. He wants to find David. He wants to, to put him to death because Saul is operating from this, from this position of, of just constant self-protection, constant self-promotion. He sees David as a threat to his hope, his security, his identity. He sees David as a threat to, to everything he is. And the only thing he knows to do with such a threat is to eliminate him. And so he knows if I can get rid of David, then that secures my throne while I'm alive. If I can get rid of David, that secures Jonathan's throne, Saul's son, when when I pass. If if I can get rid of David, this just solves a lot of my own personal problems. 
And so he's constantly, throughout the book of 1 Samuel, constantly on the hunt for David. He goes out with them and, and he camps and uh, Abner is, is kind of his lead general, it appears. And, uh, and so they're laying there asleep and it says that Saul is laying in the middle and there's an encampment all around him. So he's kind of positioned himself in the, in the safest position possible because when we're, when we're acting as Saul is from a place of, of self-protection, that's what we're always going to do. We're going to find what's the safest place for me to be and put ourselves there. So, so Saul is asleep there in the middle of the camp and his, his spear, which all through the story has always been in his hand so that he could pin David to the wall or pin Jonathan to the wall or whatever. Now he's asleep and his spear is at his head. And David and Abishai come into camp. And, and they're dead asleep. They, they sneak in. Everybody's asleep. They grab the spear. Abishai, of course, is like, look, David, I don't know why you're missing it. He is deliberately, you can let, I won't even do it twice. Just one shot, I'll pin him to the ground with his own, you know, and I mean, you can see Abishai is just chomping at the bits to eliminate the threat to David. And here's what David is faced with. He's faced with the same thing that Saul is. Am I going to act from self-protection and self-promotion? Am I going to seek to establish the kingdom and my kingship and my family and myself and, and my armor? Am I going to do that in my own power? Because he's got the opportunity. He could kill the king. He could kill Abner, his main general. And it would be over. It would be over. There would be a a clear new king, even though there, there already kind of is. But David says this, Do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David understands that that's not how we're going to build the kingdom. That's not how I'm going to be established. God has made that clear to him. And and, and the decision that he's faced with is, am I going to stay with what God has made clear to me? Or am I going to go back and and, and be double-minded and keep looking for a different answer? That's a real question, isn't it? I can't do this and be guiltless. No one can reach out their hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless. And then he says this, and, and here's where he just, he just puts it all in God's hands. He knows that, that he is not in control, and he just gives it all to God. As the Lord lives, and then he lays out three options. The Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, that is, he'll just die of old age, or he will go down into battle and perish. In other words, David is like, look, we can trust God to work this out. One way or another, God will work it out. As sure as he lives, he will, we don't know how, it could be any number of ways, but we can trust him to do that. And so I'm not going to put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. So then they go off to, to a safe distance. You know, David's not a fool, and, and, and he takes the spear and he calls out to Abner and he kind of trash talks him a little bit like, hey, you're falling down on your job. You're sleeping on the job. Literally, what, what's the problem? Somebody came in. We could have killed the king. Then where would you be? And, and Saul recognizes him and understands what's going on because David explains it to him. Why are you seeking my life? Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? See, David David is committed to not standing against Saul. 
He's, he's not the one hunting the other. He, he's done nothing at any point in the story. David has done nothing to be a threat to Saul or his kingdom. He's only been a faithful servant. But he's been a very effective one. And he's operating as the anointed of God, and Saul knows that. And so Saul feels him as a threat, not because he's threatening Saul, but because he's the one who will replace Saul. And because he's already been shown to be better at being the king, better in battle, better at trusting God than Saul was. And he already has the people's heart. And so he says, If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may he accept an offering. And notice what he doesn't say. And this is important because because it shows how much David is reliant on the grace of God. And I love this. He doesn't say, if it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me, may you have your way with me. That's not what he says. If it is the Lord who has stirred you up against me. In other words, if I've done something wrong, if I have sinned in some way, that this seems like the right thing to do, then may God, the, the gracious, merciful God, accept an offering and be appeased. If it's God who is doing this, may he accept an offering. Because see, David knew God has prescribed all of these different offerings. If we sin, there's ways to approach God. If his prophets come after us, if his kings come, if if we have done something wrong, there are ways to approach God. There are offerings you can make. And so David here is appealing to the grace of God. But, he says, if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord. For they've driven me out this day that I should have no share in in the heritage of the Lord. If it's men, Saul, if it's men that are stirring you up against me, may they be cursed because they're cutting me off from the people and promises of God. And that's unacceptable. Saul repents again, admits his sin, asks David to, to come and, and says, I will do you no harm. David it isn't made expl- or made a big deal of in the story, but, but you see David's wisdom in that he, he doesn't go. He goes somewhere else. But they have a conversation. And, and they, they have this kind of back and forth from a distance, and David gives the spear back. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. Again, David just throws himself at the sovereign mercy of God. May he deliver me. That's my hope. So that's the story. That's the story of David not lifting his hand against the anointed yet again. And there's a handful of points that I want to kind of draw out from this to help us kind of feel the reality of this story and what it means for us. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at each of these points very briefly promise in in three ways we're going to see david's picture as a work of christ as king christ as the true king and then we in christ as a royal priesthood what it means for us why it matters so the first thing is 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 that david learns that the king was not to establish the kingdom by taking personal vengeance but by waiting on the lord to work david could have easily taken personal that's what saul was trying to do That's what he had been trying to do the whole time. 
But David had seen repeatedly, that's not how the kingdom is going to come. That's not how my kingship is going to be established. And in in that way, he's, he's showing us a picture of what Christ would and wouldn't do. Because Christ, I mean, th- think about it. He, he had all of these people coming after him. He was clearly able to, to like get away. He gets away several times. He, he was the son of God. He could turn water into wine. He could raise the dead. He had power to work if he wanted to. Don't ever think that, that Christ went to the cross because he was powerless to do anything else. The, the the man on the cross understood who he was, but, but not how he was. When he said, to, or the, the, the servant while Jesus was on the cross understood who Jesus was, but not how he was. When he said to him, if you're the son of God, come down and save yourself. See, the reality is, Jesus could have done, like that was, as, as far as like things that, that could have happened by Jesus, like he could have done that. He could have obliterated everybody. But that's not how he was. That's not why he came. That's not how the kingdom would be established. It, the, the kingdom wouldn't be established by him taking personal vengeance against those who were killing him. But by him saying, even as he died, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. See, Jesus wasn't lifting his hand at that point against them. He was lifting his hand for them. And that's what the king does. The second thing, so, so, so that then we in Christ as a royal priesthood, we can operate in that same way. We can recognize that the kingdom doesn't come through, through our personal vengeance. That's not how it happens. Forgiveness doesn't come. Reconciliation, healing, life doesn't come through us settling the score. But through giving ourselves away, laying our lives down for the sake of others. From us learning to rest in Christ and lives the royal priesthood that we are in the kingdom that isn't established through our personal vengeance, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The king's job, the second point I want us to to think about for a second, is, is the king's job was not to establish the kingdom by his own force and cunning, but by waiting on the work of the Lord. So this is different. This is different than, than personal vendettas and personal vengeance. This, this is, you know, David could have been working all the angles and saying, okay, if I do this, if I do this, if I do all that, if I, if I have all these pieces in place and I have the right things here and the right things there, then, then I can establish everything. And, and it's by my cunning, it's, it's by my force that I'm going to do this. And I'm just going to white knuckle it. But he's realizing that's not how the kingdom comes. God will deal with Saul or he'll die in battle, or he'll die of old age. But he'll deal with him. Saul even, even gets it at the end. He says, blessed be you, my son, David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. See, Saul, Saul has these glimpses, these, these kind of moments of, of clarity, these, these moments where he gets it for a second. But it never lasts very long. It never lasts very long. But whenever he has these confrontations with the true king, he has these moments where he gets it. And here he does. The kingdom won't be established through might. 
This was the point that David announced to everyone in 1 Samuel 17 in the story of David and Goliath, the kingdom of God. He doesn't bring it by sword and spear. That's not how this is going to happen. And indeed, that's not what Christ did, is it? He rode in famously to Jerusalem on a donkey, this beast of burden, this animal that was a symbol of peace. That's how he rode into town. Not on a war horse. He'll come on a war horse later, to, to be sure. When he comes as judge, it, 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 it'll be a lot. But when he came as savior of the world, he came on a beast of burden. He came on, on, on an animal of peace. He came essentially waving the white flag and saying that the kingdom won't be established by force. And, and when he was being arrested and his disciples took a, took a sword and, and were ready to fight, he said, no, put him away. Put him away. That's not how this works. That's not how it works. It's not by our cunning. It's not by our craftiness. It's not by our show of force. It's by me, the king, going to the cross, dying and rising again. That's how the kingdom will be established. So what does that mean for us? That's how the kingdom will be maintained. That's how the kingdom will continue to exist. The church forgets that sometimes, and we start to think that it is by our cunning. It is by our show of force. It is by our creating voting blocks. It is by our controlling whatever we can control. No. No. I'm not saying don't be involved. Go be involved. Work for the, work for the good of everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. But don't ever think for a second that that's how the kingdom of God is established or kept. Because it's not. It's established and kept by Christ himself and his finished work. That's why it's a sure kingdom. That's why we don't have to fear losing it. The kingdom also, and we've dealt with this, I'll pass over this one quickly. I want to get to the next one. The kingdom will not be established through self-protection. David couldn't settle personal vendettas. He couldn't make it about himself. And see, that's the problem with all three of these things, all three of these points, these points that David had to learn and that we have to learn. It's that they're all centered on me. They're all centered on the self. And and what I can do, what I need to like, and, and what we learn is like that's exactly what the king was not to do. Because that's how the kingdom will not be established. Saul had gone that route. Saul had tried that. And he wasn't king anymore. The true king wouldn't lift his hand against him, but he wasn't king. He was living still under the protection of the true king. Isn't that incredible? That this guy who sought the life of David was living. That the reason his life continued is because he had the protection of David. Who wouldn't let other people kill him. Because he was the Lord's anointed. Isn't that wild? David wasn't there for self-protection. He was there to deliver the people. That's what Christ did, isn't it? The, the, The reason... The reason we continue to exist, the reason the Pharisees were, were allowed to do what they did, the reason he went to the cross 
is because his people were living under his protection. The protection of the true king. And that's what he came to do was to deliver them. To deliver them from death. To deliver them from their sin. To deliver them from Satan. That's what Christ came to do is the true king. So, so how does that play out in our lives as Christians, as, as this royal priesthood, this holy nation? How, how does that play out? Well, it's the same thing. We're not here to offer people the vengeance of the king. Because we don't live under that. We're here to offer people the protection of the king. We're, we're here to let them know the one that you have stood against, the one that you have rebelled against, the one that you have sinned against. He offers you salvation in his name. He offers you his protection. He offers you his life. He offers you his blood. Isn't that incredible? Psalm 2, all over again, isn't it? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and, and take counsel, saying, let us burst his bonds apart. And where does it end? Kiss the son, O kings, lest he be angry. Blessed is everyone who takes refuge in him. See, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. To, to those who have stood against Christ himself, Jesus says, I offer you my protection. I offer you forgiveness. I offer you life. Though you've sought my death, I offer you life. And that's how we get to live with each other. And that's how we get to live in this world. Not offering people the vengeance of Christ. That's for him. Either he'll strike them or they'll die in battle or they'll die of old age. What we're here to offer as the church is the protection of the true king. The deliverance of the true king. And that's my, my final point. The king's job, part of why I think he didn't lift his hand against the anointed, is because the king's job was not to condemn or kill the people of God, but to deliver them. All of them. That was his job. Whoever God had put in his hand, by putting them in Israel, it was the king's job to deliver them from their enemies. Not be their enemies. Not strike them down because they stood against him, but to deliver them from their enemies. That's the king's job all through 1 Samuel. So when this anointed one is seeking David's life, he's like, no, 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 I can't be guiltless and destroy him. Because my job is to deliver all those that God has put into my hand as the people of God. And he's one of them. He's one of them. So I don't get to kill him. I get to deliver him also. And again, isn't that the work of Christ? The king didn't come to condemn his people. The king didn't come to kill his people. He came to deliver us. He came to deliver us from death, to deliver us from sin, to deliver us from Satan. He came to deliver us from death to life, from sin to forgiveness.
from Satan to himself. That's what the king came to do. To offer deliverance. That's why he wouldn't act from self-protection. That's why he, 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 knowing that the only way the kingdom could be established was through his life, death, and resurrection, he went through with it willingly in love. Think about the passages we read in Romans earlier. I'm going to go back to them because I've forgotten them. But Romans 5 says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Think about that. What does that tell us Christ came to do? Not to condemn us. Not to beat us down with the law. Not to make us feel like trash. To deliver us. To deliver us. Now, that, that doesn't take away any rebuke. Even in this story, David rebukes all. What are you doing? Why are you trying to kill? I'm not trying to kill you. Stop. It doesn't take away real rebukes for sin. But it does temper them. Because, because what it does is it calls people out of sin. It doesn't try to exact the justice of God on sin. Christ will come back and he will do that, but it won't be directed at us. It won't be directed at the people of God. It won't be directed at anyone who calls him Lord. He will come with a sword. He will come on a war horse and he will judge the world. But his judgment and his wrath won't be directed at anyone that belongs to him. Because he didn't come to bring his wrath on us. He came to deliver us. He came to save us. So again, we ask, so what does that mean for us as, as this royal priesthood who, who are united to Christ, who are, who are wrapped up in him, who are united to him by faith? What does that mean for us? Guess what? Guess what we, we're not bringing to the world? The judgment of God. Do we, do we speak clearly against sin? Absolutely. Do we call sin, sin? Yes. But it's not ours in this life to bring God's vengeance on those we disagree with or even on those who stand against the church or Christ. As the royal priesthood, as ambassadors of Christ, we get to announce deliverance from sin and death, and the devil. That's how we're to approach each other. That's how we're, we're, we're to approach the world. Not announcing vengeance. Yes, being clear about sin. I want to be like, yes. But our message is forgiveness in Christ. Our message is deliverance. And that's what we get to give to each other. That message. Christ came as the true king to deliver. My prayer is that we as a church would be known for that. They announce 
the deliverance of the king for his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you for for this picture of David acting as the king is supposed to act and giving us this, this very tangible picture of what it is that Christ came to do. And we ask that you would help us to live in that reality and in that joy and in that hope. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Conway podcast. We hope this teaching has helped you grow in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Please feel free to share this resource so that others may also be strengthened in their faith through the study of scripture and theology.